Broadcasting from the News Radio 102.9 KARN Radio Center and Studio 1B, it is Guatney Unplugged with Scott Romine. Hey, Scott Romine, you're going to need to put on your red headband for today's show. I'm so excited about this. David Morrell, he's a best-selling author who released his very first novel, First Blood, back in 72, which would actually become a Sylvester Stallone franchise just 10 years later. He also wrote the novelizations of Rambo 2 and Rambo 3, plus storylines for so many things I love, like Captain America and Spider-Man comics. He's truly responsible for one of the greatest pieces of Americana, Rambo. How are you, Mr. Morell? I'm very good and happy to say that in this time of uh, pandemic, I'm healthy. Yes, that's right. We all got to stay safe and, and uh, be careful with all that. I wanted to ask you, you grew up in Canada, right? I did. Uh, and there's, um, I mean, it, there's a built-in irony here that a Canadian created one of the um, one of the most recognizable American icons. <laughs> I thought that. What did you grow up reading and watching, though? Because something influenced you. Well, um, in those days, Canada and the United States were fairly comparable. Uh, basically, Canada, American culture seeped into Canada. Um, but in my youth, in 1967, um, that was Canada's uh, centennial, and uh, having been founded in 1867. And in Montreal, there was an event called Expo 67, and the nation changed in that week of celebration about Canada in which Canadians begin to ask about their history ah. and their culture and other things. So I came, I was sort of after that, I was still influenced. After 67, probably if I'd been raised in Canada, I never would have thought of writing Rambo. But having been a prior to 67 person, um, I was still, you know, as I said, American culture seeped into the U.S. at that time. It's not the case anymore. Um, so anyway, to jump ahead, I moved to the United States to go to graduate school at Penn State. And uh, I moved uh, there during the Vietnam War and was very, uh, I, I, who knew in Canada about the Vietnam War? It wasn't reported. Uh, so this was like a new thought to me, and I was watching in surprise what was happening in the United States with regard to the Vietnam War. And I, as a uh, uh, Canadian citizen, didn't have the right really to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. I was a visitor. Um, but uh, observing and all, I eventually decided to write First Blood, which became my disguised version of what was happening in the United States at that time between um, those people who were fiercely in favor of the war and other people who were as fiercely against it. Um, it was, in a way, you could say that it sounds like an allegory. And uh, um, it, it, uh, uh, it, it was an experience to you know, try to hide my themes so that I didn't seem like I was offering political opinions. And I think that's why the novel... This is, uh, as we record this, uh, in October of uh, 2020, and that novel, First Blood, was published in 72, and it's never been out of print. 
Ever. Uh, and I think the, the, ever. And I think that's the, at plus all the many, I think it was in 30 languages. But, you know, in the United States, I think the reason it stayed in print is because it wasn't, even though it was written uh, because of political events, uh, it isn't a political novel. Uh, uh, you, you could read it today and, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't notice uh, that I think the Vietnam War is mentioned maybe twice. Right. Um, but, you know, uh, so anyway, it was, you know, a, a kind of a paradox, kind of ironic that that's how it happened. It's interesting to me that we hear about it all the time, but you explored PTSD before PTSD was a known thing, really. That, that's correct. And, and to do, to understand my perspective on that, uh, I have to understand my model for the character. Uh, who was uh, America's most decorated soldier of World War II, Audie Murphy. Uh, uh, and the Murphy citation for his Medal of Honor uh, makes Rambo look like a uh, Boy Scout. Uh, I mean, Murphy was the real thing. He did what Rambo does in stories and exceeded it in real life. Um, and after the war, he came home uh, and uh, was... Uh, uh, um, sort of adopted into Hollywood because he was, you know, it was the patriotic thing to do. And Murphy made a lot of Westerns, uh, some very cheap budgets, but many of them are very good. There's an Audie Murphy movie, uh, uh, my favorite, called No Name on the Bullet, um, in which all it takes is his presence in a town to drive everybody crazy. Uh, you know, just the reputation for him having been a killer. And that's the way people related to Murphy in real life, that they say his eyes were very, very cold. Uh, and one occasion, a, a co-star of his, a female co-star, had been made to cry by an assistant director, and Audie went over to him and said, make her cry again, and I'll kill you. And, and like when Audie Murphy said it, you sort of thought, well, yeah. well maybe he would. Yeah. Um, and, but he had terrible trouble. He had written a book called To Helen Back about his experiences in the European theater. But he also intended, he, he died too young uh, in a plane crash, um, in his 40s, uh, 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 intended to write a second book about what it was like to try to adjust to peacetime. And and uh, he woke up screaming. He had a pistol under his pillow. He often shot up his bedroom. Uh, he had troubles, you know, sleeping and all the rest of it. And while there was no name for PTSD at that time, sometimes they called it shell shock, um, he certainly had it. And so he he was my model. Uh, and then later, the term PTSD actually came to be current when the second Rambo movie, Rambo First Blood Part Two, came out in 85. And I remember being on a radio show at that time and hearing the moderator talk about PTSD and not knowing what it was. It was that new. Uh, and in fact, the show was about the, you know, the psychological, um, you know, the, the, the condition. Um, so, it, you know, in a way, the novel was ahead of its time. It was, and it's unheard of what you did. You write your first novel, and it's that big of a hit. Did you have any idea what it would become? Uh, impossible to do. Uh, I mean, you know, to put it in perspective, and I don't, I think I can say this without sounding stuck on myself, because I, I find this whole thing, you know, really bizarre at what has happened with the character, but if you look at 
the big action characters that came out of novels, you have Sherlock Holmes, you have Tarzan, you have James Bond, you have Rambo, and you have Harry Potter as the big five in the 20th century. Uh, and uh, when I was writing the book, what I was trying to do was find a new way to write action. Uh, the standard, uh, it just drives me crazy when I read uh, thrillers and, and, and shots rang out or gun smoke filled the air, even though modern ammunition doesn't have gun smoke. Right. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it just drives me crazy, all the cliches that flew around. And I thought, was there a way, if I concentrated uh, to find new expressions for those, uh, to replace those tired ones. And and I remember my agent, uh, authors generally need a literary agent to, you know, you're a fool if you represent yourself. Um, and um, I remember him saying that the action was so strong that he wasn't sure that he'd be able to get a publisher. And if I did, if he did, it'd probably be a paperback publisher because they tended to be a little more uh, lenient about uh, that kind of thing. But instead, in six weeks, he did have a hardback publisher, and uh, uh, it was reviewed in just just about everywhere, mostly positively. Uh, the Time Magazine review was negative. It was the only big review that was negative, and they they attacked the novel on the basis of the uh, action, of, or to put it more strongly, the violence in it. Um, but... Uh, I, in, in, in doing so, they said I'd invented something new, and I felt, you know, kind of uh, actually, <laughs> I felt kind of pleased by that, because that was the whole point. Mr. Morell, did you take issue with any of the changes they made for the movies uh, of Rambo, well, or the first one? No. Um, I mean, I've been in the movie business a long time uh, doing other things. Uh, I'm a member of the Writers Guild of America, which is basically screenwriters. Uh, and I know that novels and books, uh, uh, novels and films need to be different. Uh, the, it, it, and what you say is true. In, the, in my novel, First Blood, Rambo does not have a first name uh, because I wanted the sound of force. And mm -hmm. I couldn't have it, you know, saying John ran through the forest. Uh, Rambo ran through the forest. Yes. So I always used his last name and, and, you know, added a kind of mystery that he didn't have a first name. For the film, and we have to remember there were 26 scripts written for various versions of the film. Oh, jeez. It, it had been at Columbia, and then it was at Warner Brothers, and then it was at another studio, and then finally it was with Carol Cole Pictures. And there were 26 scripts lying around that had been developed here and there. In fact, at one time, Steve McQueen was Rambo with uh, Sidney Pollock uh, directing. Uh, but they finally realized that Steve, in his mid-40s, could not, in 1975, portray a Vietnam veteran because there were no 45-year-old Vietnam veterans. It was a young person's war. That's Unlike true. Iran, uh, what happened in Iraq and Afghanistan were... You often had people in the in the forties and fifties um, uh, in in that war. So um, the the character um, uh, now I got I, we got to back up. I there I was talking about the movies. Uh, what was your question? And I'll, I'll, I'll well, I'll, if you I'll, had taken issue with any of the changes, of course, oh, yeah, you know yeah. the endings okay. different uh, uh, and things like that. I I got it. Uh, I get so interested talking about this and that that I I sometimes wind up answering one question and not another. Um, 
so yeah, uh, there were changes. The biggest change is the ending of the film, uh, which uh, perhaps we don't want to talk about, but the novel and the film end quite differently. Uh, and in the, in the original film actually ended more or less as my novel does, but audiences objected so much uh, that uh, the producers went back and reshot the film uh, so that, uh, not to put too much of a mystery on it, Rambo lived, right. and thus there could be sequels. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the big change. Another change was that the novel takes place in Kentucky, uh, and was transported to the Pacific Northwest, filmed actually in Canada, uh, because um, the financing was better up there. Yes. Uh, and the other change is that the, the police chief's character is minimized in the novel compared to, I'm sorry, in the, in film, the film, compared to my novel, where, he, where in the novel, the police chief and Rambo have equal, the chapters alternate, and each has the same amount of pages. And Rambo and speaks then, more in your book. Uh, he does, yes. Um, now, one reason he doesn't speak much in the movie is that these, uh, Mario Casar and Andrew Vanya, who were the executive producers, were experts in international film distribution. Ah. And they knew the problems that dialogue had when it was translated into other languages, plus uh, it's costly. Uh, So they decided if they (laughs) had the less dialogue, the better. So in a way, it's a silent movie except for the gunshot. That's true. And Jerry Jerry Goldsmith's wonderful music. So that's one reason why he doesn't talk much. Hey, what's your memory of Kirk Douglas being involved in the first film? Well, I never met Kirk, but Kirk was the first choice to play Colonel Troutman. Um, and uh, there is um, there are publicity of drawings of him in costume that appeared in um, Hollywood Reporter and places like that. Kirk, uh, so the story goes. Uh, some of this has been, you know, there are different versions. Kirk showed up, um, and there were disagreements about. Um, how the how the story would end. I think Kirk wanted the the novel's ending. I have no means for saying this. All I know is that there were what were called creative disagreements, and uh, Kirk was there for apparently for a week and left on a Friday, uh, shocking everybody. And then Lynn Stallmaster, uh, the great uh, casting uh, person, whom I, I live in Santa Fe, and uh, one day I was at a tennis club. And by God, there was Lynn Stallmaster. He also was a member of the tennis club. And so I had a chance to talk to him about this. And and he said that it was quite a weekend with him trying to find somebody who would be absolutely dependable, uh, who could step in Monday morning and, you know, wouldn't, and, and, you know, would be steady. And uh, uh, Richard Kenner's name kept coming up. And yes. he was offered the part on Sunday. And Monday he was on his way to... British Columbia. It had to be Richard Crenna. I mean, to me, I mean, I grew up with it, you know. Yeah, exactly. And he was, by the way, a fine uh, person. I had a chance to spend time with him and uh, have several conversations. And he was just as nice uh, in, you know, in his various roles as you would expect uh, uh, him to be in person. And I used to kid him. uh, He played uh, the uh, the bad guy, so to speak, in... um, Oh, darn, I'm losing the title. It's a, 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 
it's a film noir with uh, uh, Kathleen Turner. Oof, I'm not uh, sure he, on that one. He, he played the, the husband that uh, William Hurt had to uh, kill. Uh, and, uh, and and Richie was only in it, Body Heat. And uh, Richie was only in it for like 10 minutes, but he sort of anchored the film as the antagonist. And I used to kid him and say, oh, man, you did a great job in Body Heat. And it, it bothered him a little because he was only <laughs> in it for 10 minutes, you know. Right. Great fun. Hey, don't take this the wrong way, but in my mind, I always kind of thought of Rambo kind of like Jaws, where the first film is plausible, and then every sequel kind of becomes more of a cartoon characterization of the thing. Uh-huh. Did, did you ever think that, or did it ever bother you that Rambo kind of became, you know, he was, the first film is realistic, and then after that, they've now created the one-man army, which was copied well, it, every which way it could be copied. Well, it, it certainly was influential. The, 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 the character in my novel is slightly different, actually more than slightly different, with the movie. Mine is an angry man at what happened to him in Vietnam. Very yes. angry. Whereas in the movie, he's a victim. Uh, society has has not respected him because he was in the in the war and you know that's a legitimate interpretation of the character in the second movie he is now the reverse of um of that character and of uh he he's now um He's now almost jingoistic. He's almost, instead of being about the problems of PTSD that service people had, in the second one, he's almost a poster child for, you know, let's go uh, kill the communists or whatever. The, and, the, and that's the same character in the third film. But in the fourth film, Sly phoned me one day to talk about that fourth film and said that he thought, in retrospect, the second and third films glorified the violence too much and that he wanted to go back to the novel and have the character be like he was in my novel, so that in a way the fourth film um, is is uh, different again, but but also the same as my, my novel. I love That's the one. fourth one. Uh, I- it's very good, and the, and the director's extended cut, which is on Blu-ray. I've got it. That is a completely different film. I yeah, have the 4K uh, you're talking about. It is not the same movie at all. So I told me that that, that 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 version, the first one, that is to say the first version of the fourth movie, this gets hilarious, all these numbers. Yeah. Uh, I think it was called John Rambo. That's right. Um, uh, it, it, that he said that it was, it was edited subsequently. Uh, it was condensed, and he just wasn't absolutely happy with how that, theatrical version turned out but that he loved the, the ability to have his director's cut which is it, it is almost a different film oh and it's wonderful and we got to take a quick break here on guantney unplugged we're talking with david morrell the writer of first blood the inventor of rambo we'll be right back Welcome back to Guatney Unplugged. We're talking with David Morrell. He is the writer of First Blood and inventor of Rambo. I got to ask you about, because we're in Arkansas and I'm Arkansan, I got to ask you about the Arkansas connection, Jimmy Lyle, that made those oh, yeah. famous knives. Do you have yeah. one of the knives? I do. I ah. have uh, replica knives from all of them. I talk, I didn't have a chance to meet Jimmy Lyle, the, the Arkansas uh, 
what was his tag? He's the Arkansas Knife Smith, I think he's Yes, called. he was. And, That's right. Uh, and uh, I had, I was writing the novelization for the second movie, and I did the novelizations because I wanted, uh, there was a lot in the movie that needed amplifying. For example, Rambo goes back to the prisoner of war camp from which he escaped, but he he, he never has any, you know, like, there's no psychological reaction to him going back to where he was tortured. And it seemed to me that, you know, in a novel, I could explore this and make him more of a person in relation to him and what it would cost him to go back. Um, and so when I was doing uh, the, the novelization, um, I thought uh, that the, the knives would make a nice um, topic to address oh, yes. in, in the book. So uh, uh, the producers got me in touch with Jimmy, and I had a wonderful conversation. I only talked to him once, maybe for a half hour. He was telling me about the knives and for the one and two he did and, and, and you know, why why he designed them that way and, uh, you know, the Randall knife prototype that he that from which he was, um, you know, um, in, in the survival knife that he was, you know, adapting to be, make the Rambo knife and things like that. Uh, and I found, um, I found his Arkansas accent to be so... <laughs> Pronounced uh, yeah. that I talked like him for about two days afterwards. <laughs> uh, it was it was hilarious. Uh, but he was a he was a a, a great great artist. Uh, uh, he the 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 cutlery business, as it is called, was um, in was in, in like barely existed in 1982 when the Rambo knife uh, was invented and uh, and basically rejuvenated it so that knife makers once again had a market. Uh, so he had an important place in, um, in not only in film history, but in uh, other, you know, in the cutlery industry uh, for for that. And then, of course, he adapted, he made this, the, the, the different but similar knife for the second one. And then, God bless him, he died. Yeah. Uh, and... And so Gil Hibben, who's who I know well and have talked to and met many times, uh, Gil uh, Sly was a fan of Gil's for a long time. Guy Sly collects knives, and uh, he met Gil at an event, a knife event, and um, uh, at a, it's a, it's a good story. Uh, Gil was barely able to pay the phone bill or the electric bill, and Sly came in and looked at all the knives and bought them all. Oh my gosh! Show, bought them all, and then said, um, "You want to do the knife for Rambo three, uh, and changed Gil's life. Uh, and um, you know, uh, the knife. You know, it's a bigger knife. The knives get bigger each time. Um, and uh, but you know, so Gil uh, did the knives and the machete uh, for Rambo four. I call it Rambo four. I love uh, Rambo so, four. Uh, anyhow, each of these Gil. Uh, Jimmy made replica knives for me and and stamped them as uh, author's copy, and um, and uh, Gil made knives for me with the same author's copy on them. So, um, you know, it's uh, they're prized possessions. You've got, I mean, you were on the set of these movies. So, do you have anything memorabilia? Do you have a headband or a bow or anything actually screen no, used? I, I have nothing. Nothing from the movies themselves. The, the bow manufacturer for Rambo 2 
did give me one of the bows and the arrows, which are uh, collapsible. It's Horton, um, I think, right? Uh, Horton, yes, that's Horton, right. yeah. Uh, Hoyt. Hoyt, that's right. Yeah, uh, and nice people. Uh, and, you know, I have in my study one of one, but it, it's a, a bow, it's a knife, but it was not in the film. It is not an actual, you know, I mean, it's, you know, the commercial bow. Um, but, you know, I have some, you know, some memorabilia, uh, you know, around here uh, to, to do with it. And lots of Rambo toys. God knows there are a lot of Rambo toys. Oh, believe me, I grew up playing with them, I promise you. Did it blow you yeah. away when Rambo became a children's cartoon? Well, uh, it's, I, it, I, you listen to my speechlessness here. Um the, the character has gone in a lot of directions. He's now in the Mortal Kombat universe. I saw uh, that. The, uh, That's right. As a video game. <laughs> uh, I mean, he, he got all over. The, they had to, you know, with the children's cartoon, it's a kind of a genteel Rambo. He's, you know, he's in the forest talking to animals and, well, yeah. and you, know, you know, campfires and all that. The, and they couldn't use Sly's likeness uh, for, for financial reasons. Uh, so, you know, it's a kind of a brawny looking character and, and we have, um, Jerry, they did use Jerry Goldsmith's fabulous movie. I'm just a huge Jerry Goldsmith fan. Oh, definitely. Uh, and, uh, they did, I think there are 26 of them, um, and they're available, at least they were, uh, on DVD and they're kind of fun to, you know, look at them just to see how the music is used and how they, you know, kind of gentrified uh, the character. It's kind of the G.I. Joe version of Rambo in a way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've always heard that one of your biggest fans was Ronald Reagan, that he loved Rambo. Did that ever filter yeah. back to you? Did you know that? No, I knew about it. It did not come back to me. Uh, Sly and I were talking one day. I, I have to be careful. He and I are like, you know, uh, aren't uh, uh, buddies. You know, we don't, we've never had dinner together, but we have talked a lot. Uh, and uh, he, I remember we were sharing um, the the unusual experience, talking about it in conversation, uh, about how we'd be watching TV or reading some, you know, a newspaper or what have you, and somebody would talk about Rambo, and we'd I relate to the name and the character as being a part of American culture, and then suddenly realize we created that person. Um, so there's all, there was kind of a, you know, a, a bit of a second or two lag before we identified with what we had done. Um, and, uh, it, it's, you know, it's, uh, quite a, quite a surprise, but to hear the president of the United States, in that case, Ronald Reagan, to go on television and say that he had seen a Rambo movie the night before. <laughs> now he knew, well, now he knew, he said, now he knew what to do. The next time there was a host a terrorist hostage crisis. Yeah. Uh, so uh, <laughs> and he, and that wasn't the only example. Uh, uh, Ronald Reagan, President Reagan, talked about Rambo a lot in press conferences. And I was in. I'd have to look up the date. It, it, the United States bombed uh, military air force bombed um, Libya at one time. Uh, and I can't remember. It was it sometime in the late eighties and. I was in London uh, promoting a novel at the time, and I looked at the news, at the headline of the newspaper that had been delivered with uh, breakfast, and the headline read, U.S. Rambo Jets Bomb Libya. Rambo Jets. 
Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's it's around. It's it's just a, it's an Oxford English Dictionary featured the name in a you know in sure. its own in as a, as a word. And what what I often get asked where the name came from. And uh, this is not very romantic, but it is, or dramatic, but it's interesting. In Pennsylvania, um, where I went to graduate school, my wife, uh, we had nothing. And she was out with a pittance, like 25 cents, and she managed to buy apples at a roadside stand. And she brought the apples home, and I was working on the novel. I didn't have a name for the character. All I had was blank. Eat the apple. No, no, I'm working. Out of here. No, no, eat the apple. You know, the great genius. So <laughs> so I said, all right, to, you know, hoping my wife would leave me alone. And I bit into the apple and said, hey, it tastes pretty good. And then I said that fateful question that everyone asks in biting into an apple, what's it called? Yeah. And the answer is it's a Rambo apple. I mean, I'm a super fan of Rambo, and and most people don't know that James Cameron has a connection to Rambo, the Terminator guy. Could you explain that connection? Oh, absolutely. Uh, It's a wonderful connection. Um, Cameron, having done the Terminator, I believe that I have the sequence correct, the first film, and he'd worked for Corman, and, you know, he was around, and and in the business, and they had a good reputation, and Carol Cole hired him to write the first script for Rambo First Blood Part Two, uh, And that script had the, basically the same storyline, but um, it had a sidekick for Rambo. Uh, and the sidekick, as, as you read it, and you remember that Sly had directed John Travolta in the sequel to um, Saturday Night Fever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, that the sidekick was almost certainly going to be John Travolta. See, I'd heard Kurt Russell. I've heard um, I've heard Kurt Russell would been, would have been that character. It, 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 he could have done it in those days. You know, we're talking nineteen eighty four when they would have filmed. Um, that yeah, that both of them could have done it. But if you read it, it 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 just sounds so much like Travolta. Mm-hmm. And um, in any case, um, they decided that they didn't want the sidekick, and you know, so a few other things changed. The biggest change, apart from that, was the opening, in which Troutman visits a um, a uh, hospital for wounded vets, uh, and the hospital has a psychiatric wing. Ah, and Ram- Rambo is in the basement at the end of a long corridor behind a iron, steel iron door, whatever, with bars on it, with a armed guard outside. Yeah, he's not out and on the when, boulders, chopping the boulders up or no, whatever, no, as no. we know. No, and he shows up, uh, Troutman shows up to offer him the deal to go back to Vietnam. And the light is, uh, the, 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 through the bars of the room is dark. And uh, the guard says to Troutman, he smashed the light again. He thinks he's still the expletive Prince of Darkness. And I said to Andy Vanya, um, I just loved Andy. Uh, he's no longer with us, uh, one of the executive producers. He, I said, Andy, it's such a great opening. He said, yeah, but it makes him sound like a nutcase. Uh, so we changed it to him splitting rocks. Plus, we got his shirt off right away. Well, of course. Uh 
And uh, so when I did the novelization, the script was pretty thin uh, for the shooting script. But um, what what I found, I said, Andy, I, I, there's not much here. Like, literally, the script was Rambo sh- uh, jumps up and shoots this guy. Rambo <laughs> jumps up and shoots that guy. Well, I'm sure he does. That, yeah. That was the script. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I said, I need more than this. Have you got anything else? And he said, well, oh yeah, we had a James Cameron script. What? So they had hired him and they, so they sent me the script and oh my heavens, it's so much neat stuff. So I broke all the rules. Normally with a novelization, you're supposed to be slavish to the, to the script as it was finally film, but as the creator of the character, I had a latitude that other novelizations uh, don't normally have. And uh, so I, what it became was uh, my book of the film became one-third shooting script, one-third James Cameron, and one-third mine, for example, addressing the issue of Rambo going back to the camp from which he had, where he had been tortured and from which he escaped. Can I be very honest with you? And, and I, I'm wondering if you've heard this before. I know that First Blood is the best movie of all of them and the best story and everything. I am in love with the second one. To, to, it's, yeah. That's my favorite one because I was 12 years old and it's yeah. a car, live action cartoon in a way. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it just made the impression on me that this is Rambo, you know, uh, yeah. I don't know the scene where he steals the chopper and comes back and takes out the vid- to me. It's just, yeah. it's, it's wonderful. I mean, it, it's just yeah. so well done. Um, I don't know well, if you, you hear you that, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. Uh, I'm not a fan of, of the third film. I like the fourth a lot, but in terms of fun, the second one, it's just fun. Uh, I mean, you know, and we have to, you know, we have to get past all this. Um, you know, there's a certain, um, um, what would be the word? Uh, political correctness. You have to get past yes. for that film. And the, and and the, and uh, I remember talking to a trainer at Fort uh, Bragg, who said that they'd watched the movie and they were rolling around on the ground on the floor of the theater practically, because in the scene where Rambo pretends his helicopter has been compromised mm-hmm. and he's got the re- rescued prisoners in the back of the helicopter and he picks up a, an, anti- <laughs> an RPG. You know, a, a, yeah. And he fires it blowing up the, the, you know, the huge, the, the hind you know, Russian aircraft, the big hind but, aircraft, but, but the back blast would have killed all his rescued prisoners. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The trigger he's pulling on the grip in the helicopter is like the radio transmit button. I've always yeah. Yeah, I've or, read that, you know. Or the the, the bow manufacturer was furious because this isn't sly. I mean, this is none of this is meant to be disrespectful, but um, the bow had a arrow clip on it. I think this is in the third one. Mm-hmm. And the, now the the arrows are meant to be pointed down toward the ground with the fletch up around the shooter's eyes. Right. But that doesn't photograph. So they reversed the arrows. <laughs> so that the arrows were now in line with the uh, shooter's eyes, which is, you know, hardly what you want. 
And the bull manufacturer was furious because of the potential for lawsuits if somebody started doing that stuff. Um, there, I mean, I called it Rambo of the Jungle. I thought of it as a, of a cross between a Tarzan movie and a Western. And like the fight in the helicopter is comparable to a fight on the stagecoach. Oh, of course. Uh, That's it, what it is. He does everything but swing through the trees on vines and all that. It's it's a hilarious film. I mean, uh it it it's it's a you know, it's on uh it's a it's a sort of in the spirit of Indiana Jones. Yep. Um but uh and the music I think Jerry's music is better in that one than in the first one. It is. Um but but as you say it, you know, it's it's a you know, the first one is, is serious and changed American culture and its attitude toward veterans of unpopular wars. Uh, the second one didn't change. Well, I don't know about that. It did become a poster, of a, a kind of a uh, recruitment film. Oh, sure. Uh, which, which the first one is not. Uh, so, you know, different Rambos different for different films. Uh, in uh, 2010, I was part of a, the first USO authors group to go to a war zone. I went to Iraq. Anyhow, we went to two military hospitals before we went overseas. And uh, we went to uh, rooms, uh, I still remember this, uh, rooms man without one leg, without two legs, without an arm, without two arms, without any legs or arms. Mm. And I cannot tell you the number of times when uh, that person said to me he had joined the military because of the Rambo films. <laughs> and I said to him, I guess in a way I'm responsible for what happened to you. And he said, no, no. Uh, he, he knew what he was getting into and it was the movies that made him do it. And I, I keep thinking, you know, for everything, there are two sides. And I've seen pictures like people in Iraq, they've painted Rambo on the barrel of their tank. And I mean, yeah. I don't know what that, how would that feel to, to see that when you created that? I mean, well, he, he's, he was on, someone wrote his name on the Berlin Wall as it came down. And, and uh, you know, this is the other side of it. I was in Poland in 2001 on a, on a book tour. Uh, she, uh, a female journalist said to me that uh, in, 89, 90, uh, during um, the revolt, the Polish revolt against the USSR, um, that the, the Rambo films, which were illegal in Poland, had been smuggled in in tape form in those days, VHS, and that those, those they, the, the demonstrators, she, at least her group, watched the film or films and then dressed up as Rambo and then went out to demonstrate against the Soviet soldiers. <laughs> it's unreal. Um, and, you know, so I just gaped at that because you never know what's going to happen, you know, where things will go. So, you know, it's a, it's a powerful, big subject. Hey, we appreciate your time so much today. And I just want to say personally, thank you for all the things you have written and created. It has meant the world to me. Scott Roman, go on the unplug. Go have a great Saturday. We will see you next week.